Hello and welcome. My name is Matt Peterson and this is episode 5 of History on the Table. Episode 5, welcome back. Glad to be here. Hope everyone's doing well. Got some good news uh, for this month and some bad news. Not really bad news. The I guess the bad news doesn't really affect you because the bad news is, is I intended to record this episode last weekend. Um, but of course, life gets in the way and shit happens. So here we are. Uh, the good news is this should be a double month. Uh, so it's just kind of by coincidence has worked out the last three episodes have been once a month on the 16th or 17th right around the same time each month uh but just just by timing uh we should get a couple episodes out this month uh, a few pieces of news i want to go over the big item of course is announcing next WarCon, which i've been promoting all over twitter and board game geek and you may have seen it on facebook and console world all of those places we'll be talking about zeppelin raider as well which you may recall from the most anticipated games episode of 2019 i mentioned zeppelin raider which is the new release from compass games so we're going to take a look at that and we have some filling in of the every game every war game ever made list that i started last episode uh, but before we start talking about games let's talk about next WarCon. so i'm really happy proud to be able to take part in and help put on next WarCon this summer or i guess late spring here in kansas city uh, Next WarCon is going to be two and a half days of the Next War series from GMT Games. Just two and a half games of playing, learning about, discussing uh, the game with, and I think this is the really cool part, the series designer Mitchell Land. So Mitchell Land is going to drive down to Kansas City, and we have a great venue. It's actually a local board game store uh, with a really great gaming space. Um, and they're going to let us take over a good chunk of that to host our convention from June 7th through the 9th. Now, I've posted this all over the place. You should just be able to do a Google search. I think the easiest way to find it now, actually, is go to go to GMT's, inside GMT website and go to the events page, and you s should see Next WarCon. Uh, but if you're having trouble finding it, just feel free to shoot me a message on Twitter or shoot me an email. Uh, history table pod on twitter or history table podcast at gmail.com and we'll get you signed up or answer any questions you have uh, so this is a really low cost con to be able to attend so it's only 20 bucks but the good news is everyone who signs up by may 1st not only gets a 10 dollars tabletop uh, that's the venue we're hosting the event at a 10 dollars tabletop certificate 10 dollars gift certificate if you sign up by May 1st, you'll also get a copy of Next War Supplement 1 and a $10 GMT Games gift card. Uh, so make sure you sign up by May 1st. If you sign up after May 1st, it'll just be too late to get the GMT stuff here. You'll still receive the $10 gift card to Tabletop Game and Hobby. Uh, but yeah, 20 bucks cash. You just pay at the door. No no requirement to pay in advance. We just ask that you... Uh, you know, confirm your, your plans to attend and all that, and just shoot either myself an email or Chris Miller. It's chris at tactics-zero.org. The zero is the numeral zero. Anyways, all that information is, is online. You can find it. And again, if you have any questions, just just shoot me, shoot me an email, shoot me a message on Twitter. But I'm really looking forward to it. 
I've been asked at least once uh, whether this convention is appropriate for people new to the Next War series. Well, I'm completely new to the Next War series. Now, it's going to be taking up quite a bit of my gaming time over the next couple of months, I assume. But this is a perfect experience for anyone who's never played Next War. Not only are there going to be a bunch of people there that have played the games and can walk you through the games, but Mitchell Land will be there talking with new players, you know, helping them learn the game. And it'll be a really, I think, unique unique experience to be able to spend two and a half days on a on such a specific series with the series designer. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So again, that's June 7th through 9th coming up. I probably won't spend a whole lot of time on other episodes mentioning it. I may just, you know, say, hey, get your registrations in by May 1st or, you know, it's approach. Yeah, it should be a good time. I'll be happy to, uh, you know, if you come down to Kansas City, play some games. I don't think I'm the big draw, but uh, Shirley Mitchell is getting the chance to play with him. But we'd love to have you down here in Kansas City. And if you're if you want to make a trip out of Kansas City, I have tons of recommendations on cool shit you can do. Kansas City is actually a really neat place to travel to. My wife and I both like making ourselves tourists in our own city. Okay, we can talk about some things on the shelf. So not a whole lot coming in. I did swing a couple trades, and I think it was last episode I talked quite a bit about Bloody April. And I mentioned that I enjoyed the system enough, but I'd really be interested in a more action-packed game, I think. Uh, and so Elusive Victory, I, I traded for a copy of that. That is a game in the, the same kind of family as Bloody April, and it shares um, the same family with Downtown. Downtown is the air war over Vietnam. Bloody April is actually kind of the air warfare over the Suez Canal um, in the early 70s, late 60s. So it has the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, and the War of Attrition. So, uh, should have a lot more jets flying around, blowing shit up, and yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I was happy to uh, to trade for it. I think the payoff there, uh, you know, my big critique of Bloody April last episode was it was just so tedious and things kind of felt like a chore, and although the missions were fun, I didn't feel like there was a lot of payoff. So I'm hoping that Elusive Victory and the more action-packed games in the family do have more of a payoff where they make the, the the tedious nature worth it. Another one, Sword of Rome. I traded for a copy of that. That's been out of print for a while. Looks really neat. Um, I guess a little bit more interest in ancient stuff than I've shown in the past. Genesis really impressed me, and I know they're completely different systems, uh, but it should be, I don't know, it should be pretty neat. I know people, it seems to be well-received. That's an old, uh, not old, but a GMT game from a few years ago. Of course, I already mentioned we'll be reviewing Zeppelin Raider from Compass Games. That actually just came out this week, or I received my copy this week, or maybe late last week, I don't remember. I will mention that Zeppelin Raider is responsible for the loss of a dear friend, which is my Oregon Laminations Corner Rounder 2.5 millimeter. Uh, the same problem that happens on all of those deluxe counters, the, uh, the little plastic piece on the top snapped about halfway through that game. But the game's here, and it's halfway clipped, and I did get it to the table, and we'll talk about more, talk about that a little bit more later on. Right, let's talk about a couple books. Back in episode one or two, I know I mentioned Shelby Foote's Civil War, um, so it's a three-volume, massive work covering the whole Civil War, 
and I've I take it in chunks, so I kind of treat it like a podcast where I'll I'll cover a topic or whatever, and I'll move on to a different audiobook or something like that. And it's narrated by Grover Cleveland, so it's it's got great audio narration, and it's a nice overview of the entire civil war so you're not going to get a ton of detail on every engagement obviously he spends more time on the larger engagements but it's really nice for that kind of so when i started listening to shelby foot i my civil war knowledge was just kind of what i learned in school right um or seen in movies or watching documentary you know like something like ken burns civil war uh, and I think that was a nice transition, kind of next level. It is pretty long, but I think if you take it in chunks, it's it's pretty good. So anyways, I, I wrapped up the second volume, which covers Fredericksburg to Meridian. And it was great. I think the criticisms of Shelby Foote are well documented. I'm not going to touch on that. I think you just take the book for what it is. Uh, if you're capable of doing that, I think you'll have a enjoyable read or listen if you're an audiobook fan. Now that I wrapped that up, I, I went back to... The Ryeria Revelations, which is a six-book series from Michael J. Sullivan. Six books is kind of a... That's not truly accurate, because he took each... Every two books is combined into one larger larger volume. So, Heir of Navron is the third volume, and that, that covers books five and six. And I just wrapped up book five, and I'm going into the last book... That's just a really fun fantasy series. It's nothing too serious. It it's at times almost kind of like a buddy cop book, um, set in a fantasy setting. But there there's all kinds of stuff going on. Your familiar fantasy tropes. It's just really well written. Uh, it's a lot of fun. All right, that's enough about books. So, as far as games I've been playing lately, is pretty nice. Uh, my wife and I just this last weekend kind of took a whole weekend and just dedicated it to playing games together. Most of the, well, all of them with my wife and I were uh, Euro games. She'll dabble in the uh, the war games when she, when it's something she'll enjoy. I think I mentioned I tried to teach her Festung Budapest and that was not not her not her jam, uh, but she does really like memoir. Uh, but anyways, this last weekend we spent most of the weekend playing uh, just a whole bunch of different Euro games. Nothing stood out other than our, our typical favorites. So we played a little bit of Viticulture, Concordia, those types of games, which we both really love. Played a few different things. One thing I'll mention, we did play New Frontiers for the first time, which is kind of the board game. Well, it is the more board game version of Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy, where Roll is obviously the dice version. I don't know how I feel about it yet. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Race of the Galaxy on the app lately, and it's just it's just a really nice game. New Frontiers, I don't know if it really adds anything to me for me other than just more setup and teardown and more table space. Uh, it adds some colonists, so you need individuals to settle a planet. You can reach into the bag and draw out your planets at any time, but you need people to go settle those planets and then... When you settle, you pay the cost if you're if you're at all familiar with Race for the Galaxy. It's fine. I was kind of expecting a bit more just based off people how, you know, oh, Roll for the Galaxy killed Race for the Galaxy and New Frontiers kills Roll for the Galaxy. It's not bad by any means, but I don't I don't think you need both Race and New Frontiers. If you're happy with Race for the Galaxy, I don't think 
you need to acquire this. And my dogs are barking their heads off. I'm going to take a quick pause. Okay, after a brief interruption, thanks to Arcade and Rosie, we are back. And I was reminded of one thing I did want to mention that's new to the shelf. And I only want to mention it, I guess, because in addition to next war, it's going to be getting a lot of table space, table time, hopefully. And I've mentioned it in just about every episode, and that's to take Washington, which is the newest line of battle entry from Multiman Publishing. So I, th I think what I had maybe thought about doing was jumping into None But Heroes, uh, but then I figured, well, I'll just wait for to take Washington to show up. I don't know which game in that series is the best to start with. So I'm going to just go with the newest one and assume that it'll have the newest rules and the newest charts and that I won't have to print anything off. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. There's a couple little small solo games. I picked up a copy of Agricola from uh, Hollenspiel. So I, I may spend some time, you know, one evening playing through that. But really what I'd like to do next is just kind of focus on Line of Battle and Next War series. And then, of course, uh, well, you're all familiar. I've been playing a little bit ASL. Uh, keep focusing on that. Okay, that's enough about to take Washington. The next time you'll hear about that, hopefully I'll actually have some of the system under my belt and I know what the heck I'm talking about. One game that I really want to mention that I was really impressed by is Operation Pegasus. Now, this is a 1980 game, so it's just about 40 years old. But for 40 years old, it's really impressive. Now, don't be turned off by the average rating over on Board Game Geek. I think it's like a 6.9 or something like that. I've only played through one turn so far, so I'm not going to do a full review of this game. But... For a 39-year-old game, this really has some interesting concepts and mechanics at play. Uh, just a little bit more about the game. The game was designed by Perry Moore. I think it was an old magazine game. could be wrong about that. But you can get a copy of it. You can buy it digitally uh, and do your own little print and play. Also, there's a really nice module that Judd Vance did for Vassal. Uh, Judd Vance, if you ever follow his geek list, like his top 100 games of the year, this this shows up just about every year that I've been following, I'm, I'm sure. So I think it's uh, it ranks up there. So you're able to play it online. Uh, you are not able to solo this. So one of the best mechanics, I think, in this game is the ambush mechanics. So as the U.S. player approaches the, <clears throat> the NVA, the NVA player can pop out and ambush the U.S. player and roll on a separate line uh, with you know, more preferable odds. There's also dummy counters and sniper counters. So the Vietnam player is slowly creeping through the jungle and gets all these benefits. You know, Basically, the U.S. player can't target them as they're covered in the jungle. And it just kind of, I guess, for me, it just simulates that really well. Um, you know, all the NBA player has to do is get two hexes away from the U.S. player, and they're uh, they're back under cover, and you know they can spawn decoy counters on themselves or bring in new snipers and and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's really impressive. There's the the thing that really shines in this game is 
the helicopter mechanics. So the U.S. player gets a certain amount of helicopter air points, and depending on how they u- how he uses them, he or she uses them, kind of determines how they are available. So if he uses them for certain missions, they may be unavailable for one or two more turns, uh, especially if they take damage. So if they get if they take enough damage, they'll be unavailable for three turns, that types of things. And the whole road, so the basically the, the object of the U.S. player is to liberate the Quezon, uh, Fort, Fort, the Fort, I don't know what the fortifications at Quezon was, but basically they're trying to clear the highway to Quezon. Well, the highway is mined all the way to Quezon, essentially, uh, and they can't get the road movement benefit as long as the road is mined, And but they have unlimited maneuverability with the helicopters. So you want the helicopters for maneuvering troops, but you also want them for firepower or spotting and revealing hidden troops out in the jungle. So managing those helicopters is really neat. And then the last thing I guess I'll mention that that really shines in Operation Pegasus, there's the US player has to maintain landing zones. So if they get too far away from grass hexes or I think the road maybe uh, but definitely grass hexes or or a landing zone. So a landing zone is anywhere the the helicopter brings in brings in the troops. If they get too far away, they basically crack and either become they just stand still or they they route. The US player can't really just fly wherever and then just leave their troops out there. They need to stay in the proximity of a landing zone or gra- you know open hexes. Uh, and so that's really cool. The the hiccup for this game, which I think this will make or break this game as we continue to play it, is the combat resolution. So combat, if I have four units stacked in a hex, which is the max, and I fire with one of them, I don't I don't resolve the whole hex against my opponent's hex. It's my unit fires, that unit can fire back, and then any adjacent units can fire back, kind of return fire on my unit that fired. So instead of counting shrink points or anything like that, you just kind of go one at a time, and that's not a bad thing because you know that's different than uh, what we have in so many games today, where you're just counting up strength points or combat factors, and you get some odds. Everything here, the combat is based off of the type of unit you're attacking and the type of terrain they're in. But that means everything's resolved one at a time. I think the combat will flow a little bit better as we get more experience with this game and, and play it more. But I think. That could be something that kind of breaks this game, but we will see. All right. I spent a little bit of time about playing halfway through a scenario of SPQR. Uh, This is, of course, the... I'm playing on Vassal, but I recently acquired the SPQR Deluxe Edition, the most recent printing of SPQR from GMT Games. This is a Richard Berg, Mark Herman game, and it's Tactical Ancients Warfare. Yeah, I like what I see so far. Like I said, I've only played through one half scenario, and most of that scenario was sitting in my elephants to watch them rampage across the battlefield. So that's a pretty awesome mechanic found in this game. Is basically uh, as your as your elephants take damage when they finally take enough damage to essentially eliminate them. Basically, their breaking point. They just start rampaging across the battlefield, which can be great because it can cause all kinds of chaos in your opponent's lines but it can be bad because they can turn around and charge at your guys so that's we saw a little bit of man-to-man combat some actually a lot of artillery or i'm sorry not artillery uh, cavalry combat resolved last turn and i'm about to 
bring in my phalanxes to uh to try to put it into this it, it's it's really fun so far but it's still early um i'll see a little bit more of how combat itself is carried out instead of just elephants running all over the place uh but yeah it's good so far i'm very much enjoying my most recent play of the u.s civil war i i may have mentioned this was coming up in the last episode the big thing for me is this is the first time that I'm playing with the advanced naval rules. So far, things are going really poorly for me as the Union player. The Confederate player was able to drive into Pennsylvania, but had to fall back for supply reasons. And then if you're familiar with the game, if you roll a die high enough on the activations, if the difference between the Union and Confederate die roll is high enough, the, Conf the Union player must do what's called an on-to-Richmond activation, which is essentially attack a, a hex in Virginia um, and I think there's a couple other states that that satisfy that like maybe Pennsylvania if you go attack Confederate Army there or whatever so McClellan roll or I get that I activate McClellan and he gets thoroughly stomped tries to go on the offensive gets stomped then he takes uh, some troops come up from Baltimore and he gets sent back and he hightails it back to DC that's about where we're at um, the only other notable thing is Confederates just moved into Kentucky because in 1862, Kentucky goes from neutral to Union, so the Confederate player might as well invade. There's no reason not to. So the Confederates are on the move in the Western Theater, and then over in the Trans-Mississippi Theater, uh, the Confederates were pushed out of Springfield. And that's about where we're at. That game really starts out slow in 61, which is nice. Um, each army just kind of, you know, struts its feathers and don't really want to make a move because nothing is really has presented itself as an opportune um, place to attack. Uh, but things are going well. The advanced rules are interesting. I'm still getting them under my belt. I think it, I think it's cool to have the, the ships in there. Uh, the big change I've noticed so far is amphibious assaults. We haven't really had any kind of naval engagements, but amphibious assaults now basically you resolve a naval engagement to clear the way for your amphibious troop landing. And um, that's the biggest change I've noticed so far. And I like that rule. Um, I welcome that. And I'll, if the rest of the rules continue to make sense, I, I will just play the advanced rules. Okay. So back in episode two, or maybe it's three. I don't remember anymore. We talked about Zeppelin Raider, Imperial German Naval Airships from Compass Games. It's designed by Gregory Smith. Now, Gregory Smith has designed a few of these solitaire naval games. Of course, I can't think of any off the top of my head, and that's because you may recall I mentioned that these types of solo games usually aren't my cup of tea. I think I mentioned before that I traded away Phantom Leader from Dan Burson games. I just, they're usually more complex than I want out of a solitaire only game where the decisions aren't aren't enjoyable so you're reading all these rules but you're not really doing anything and m maybe you are but they're just not for me i'd rather just play a normal war game solo but i was excited for this game because of the theme right i mean it's zeppelins uh which sounded awesome so you're a zeppelin commandant for the german army or i guess german navy sorry during world war one and the whole point of this game is you're going out on bombing raids or scouting missions and the pretty cool thing is you can get sent to Africa to do some shit down there. 
And uh, so, yeah, I, I was really excited for this. I, I thought maybe this would be the kind of solo air or naval game that, that brought me in. Uh, but let's, let's talk about that. The game just came out. Everything is, is pretty nice, nice about the game. You get a couple, a couple maps, just point to point maps. Just, they're probably, I don't know, a little bigger than eight and a half by 11. Maybe they are eight and a half by 11. Uh, you get not a ton of counters, so it's not a, lot of stuff to keep track of and then just a boatload of charts i mean several several charts that you'll com constantly be referencing as you as you play the game but it's it's your typical compass games production quality every everything's uh nice it's 193 counters i was trying to find out what the map size was and then you have all these uh tracking sheets these display mats for your zeppelins so you keep track of the bombs and fuel level and all that type of stuff you're basically trying to make it to the end of the war to see how many victory points or how many successful missions you've completed between they tell you to start in 1915 and then you go to 1918 and you have this uh you have these log sheets where you're basically just writing down what type of mission you did and was it a success or not and so let's talk about how the game plays after you so you can, you can pick to start with whatever zeppelin you want they recommend you start at 1915 with a p class and so you get that all set up and you you get all your markers and you roll on a table to get a mission and that'll go either tell you to go bomb a specific hex or a point like so go bomb london or go do a patrol or a scouting mission over here in area f and so you take off and you travel one box at a time. It's point to point. And every time you travel, you check for just some kind of random event to happen to your ship or a change in the weather. If you reach your destination, you'll go through either like a bombing run or, or a scouting check. And then you roll for encounters based off where you're at. So you on a bombing run, you have really low odds of, on the way there of encountering enemy aircraft because you're at night, that type of thing. Uh, if you're out on a scouting mission during the day, you have a pretty high chance of encountering some enemy planes. And so you run your mission, and it may be a success, it may be a failure, depending on whether you successfully identify ships or whether your bombing run was a success or if you inflicted enough hits on the target that you were randomly determined. So on the <clears throat> let me back up real quick. On the bombing runs, when you get to your destination, you roll on a table, and all right, that tells you you're bombing this train station. And so depending on how many hits you inflict on that train station, will tell you if your mission was a success or not. And then you'll have AA fire. You may have some planes chase after you. All that stuff you have to resolve. And then in the meantime, you are you then fly back to your base of operation in Germany. And once you land, once the once the mission's over, you may have all, all kinds of things you have to worry about. You know, your your crew may have taken casualties or wounds. Um, your ship may be damaged. And then as the game goes on, you may get promotions. You may receive awards. And you can maybe get, you know, assigned to nice new Zeppelins, that, that type of thing. Uh, that's just a basic rundown. And that's really about it. Now, there's, there's only... About, let's see here, I have it right here. There's 23 pages of rules here, but it's pretty well spaced out, and it, sometimes it, it repeats itself, which, is, which isn't a bad thing in this case. Uh, but nothing here is too complicated. 
really what I did is I, I set up, I looked at all the pieces, got everything punched out, and then I read through the rules once, and then I just started sitting down and, and I just started playing. Okay, so got all my counters set up, and then started, all right, you take off, you determine the weather, you do all those things, and then here's your flight sequence. Okay, so I arrive at my destination, and then I run through my bombing sequence. Okay, and once you run through your bombing sequence, then you're going to have, you know, AA fire, and then you're going to, you're going to have aircraft that you have to encounter and that type of thing. And this whole time, all of this stuff is resolved on various charts. So you're, you know, you have a, a to hit chart on your bombing run and you have to determine if you're on target uh, and all these, all these things. That's the game. Nothing, nothing too complex here. And what I realized pretty quick into this is just, or I guess what I reaffirmed is these games just are not meant for me. Now, I was optimistic because the other games by this designer are pretty well received on Board Game Geek, and I see them pop up, and so I was optimistic. But as I played, I just didn't see what the point was. There were no real decisions for me to be made in this game. Okay, so I arrive at my bombing destination. Okay, I roll. All right, I'm bombing a train station. Now I need to see if I'm on target. Or I guess you roll to get a on target first. You find your bombing target, and then you may be off target again, which may shift your target to a completely different... You may end up bombing some cottages. And then really the only decision you're making there when you're doing the bombing run is how many bombs are you going to drop? And so then you roll however many dice um, you roll to see if it's a hit or not. The only other tactical decisions... I felt like I was making was controlling my ship's altitude, which is important. So you're either, you know, dropping bombs, you're dropping weight uh, to raise up altitude, or as you raise altitudes, you may vent out gas, uh, which gives the Zeppelin lift. And so you either need to choose to counteract that or, or not. Basically, as my understanding is historically, as the Zeppelins went up, basically the change in atmosphere, this is how... This is what happened, I, I guess. And then the only other decision is you can drop parachute flares to kind of blind the AA. But all, all that is doing is giving you a die roll modifier on uh, the results table for AA fire. And that's it. Those are the three tactical decisions that I really felt like I had any meaningful control over. And... as if I was making the decision myself, everything else had just felt on rails. And there's, I guess you can also, so if you're out on a scouting mission, you can actually choose to go bomb the ship that you, you found, but it's really risky. Um, and I don't know why you would, why you would do it because you're so susceptible to damage in this game that it's hard enough. I don't know why you would ever just expose yourself to more, fire maybe later on when you have a better zeppelin it, it would make sense but even when you encounter planes there's not really much going on you just kind of compare the plane's altitude to your altitude and that will determine whether your zeppelin gets to fire back and how many shots that 
that fighter plane is going to take against you. And even your defensive fire is just so random and on wheels. And, and it's just not fun. You're just rolling a D6. And if it's a six, they take damage and it can only fire once. I mean, that's that's your defensive fire against planes. And so everything is just consult the table, roll the dice, and see what happens. And when I think about this game, I can't help but think about something like Stratomatic Hockey, which I've mentioned before I really enjoy. And, you know, what's the difference? There's not a ton of actual decisions to make in Stratomatic Hockey, but Stratomatic Hockey flows really well. I'm not constantly shuffling through, I don't know how many, you know, six different cardstock charts with, which may have, you know, a dozen different charts on one page just to find out what happens. And usually it's not a disappointment, but here you move to a hex, you consult to see if the weather changed. Now the weather can only change once per turn, but great. You start off clear and then all of a sudden you get some, you know, shitty weather. um, And now you have to drop some weight to counteract for that. I mean, you're making the decision about weight, but that's not really fun to have happen to you. Okay, so then you roll, and then you have some random mechanical failure happen, and it's just, um, you just go point to point, and you roll at each hex a couple times and, and just see what happens, and the decisions you are making aren't that fun for me, and I think this game has an audience. I think... Obviously, there's people out there that enjoy this this type of game. And I don't know if the other games from Greg Smith are are more involved or not. And I don't know if this is how Phantom Leader plays because I never got it out. But also, I'm reminded of Enemy Coast Ahead. And I didn't read through the rules in that game, but because they tell you to just start playing and look at the rules as you go. So I had it set up and I just I just looked at it and didn't think it was for me. What's weird is as I read the rules, I was still optimistic, but as soon as I started playing, I just thought, I'm not doing anything, and I don't really care, and then when something bad happened, I'm just like, oh shit, and it just seems so easy for things to go wrong, and you have so little control over those things that I was really disappointed, and here's the other thing, you start off in 1915, May, and you run through 1918, and you take three missions a month, and so that's, let's see, I don't know, 7, 21, 36, I don't know, 100 missions, give or t- if you make it all the way, uh, 16, 1916 would be, I don't, I don't remember now, I don't have the sheet in front of me, maybe they cut out some months, but so you're just doing this time and time again, and there's really not that much variation. Like, all right, fuel up, and you know what? Maybe you have some better crew that give you some modifiers that make your missions more successful, or maybe you can spot ships easier, or you know that type of thing. That's really the only variation in the missions. You know, how far do you have to go? What new modifiers do you have? I don't know, and maybe maybe I'm beating a dead horse here, and just rehashing what i've said but again it just boils down to that there's not really any decisions to be made and the decisions you're making aren't enjoyable uh, at least to me so again i think maybe there's an audience out there for it i think people like this game or they're just kind of moving around and just seeing what happens but to me that's all it was and maybe i missed the point 
it does i mean the game has some nice qualities it's got nice components i don't think i would pay full price for this game i I definitely would recommend you not because although there's nice components you really just have one map and i don't know that has a few dozen point points and then you know you only have two types of missions that you're running now you may be going different places and you may encounter different things along the way but you're either going out on a scouting mission or you're going out on a bombing mission and yes they'll be a little bit different but that's all you're doing and i think when i when i finally packed this up last night i just didn't care to do that anymore so yeah i if that sounds like something you'd enjoy and maybe i'm being unfair here go for it but I would not pay full price just because there's so little variation in, in what you'd be doing in this game. And maybe I didn't take it far enough. You know, maybe it, you know, getting into a, a newer class Zeppelin uh, would be a lot of fun. But you have to you have to make it there, and you have to be successful enough in your missions to be able to upgrade your Zeppelin. I, guess, I mean, you could start in the 1916 or 17 or whatever, wherever you wanted. But yeah, I just... Overall, it just felt a little... You know, I, I keep wanting to use the term generic because you get assigned these generic crew markers. There's no real flavor with that crew. Um, and that's just kind of how all of your actions feel is generic. And I think I'll use a term that I used earlier when I was talking about Bloody April. Overall, this is just really tedious. There are so many charts to consult. And I'm sure, just like with any other game, the more you play Zeppelin Raider, you'll get more comfortable and maybe more organized than I am and say, okay, the weather chart's here and I need to look over here for the, you know, mission chart or whatever. But you're just you're constantly dealing with those things. There's no gameplay just gets interrupted a lot by constantly making chart checks to really do anything in the game. And um, yeah, it just left a sour taste in my mouth. And I think I've, I think I've hashed that out enough. Um, I'd love to hear someone else's take on this game, but you know, I don't think my opinion would ever change. I'm, I I will not revisit this game. And I think that's going to be a nice transition to, I'm sure I had some other points that I actually wanted to talk about that I'm, that I'm not thinking of right now. I've got my notes here in front of me, but I didn't really write down a whole lot of stuff about this game. Again, the rules were, were nice. Um, easy to read through everything made sense and again as, as soon as i finished the rules i was actually really optimistic and still looking forward to play this game but I, I go out on my first mission and i have to go scout area f and i roll on the weather and it's rain and if you roll rain and as long as you, if you're not in a particular base the mission's a failure so my very first thing i did in the, well not first roll the dice determine my mission take off or i don't even take off i roll for the weather First mission's canceled. That's fine. I can deal with, you know, random events that set you back, especially in a solo game. But there's just no payoff here. I wouldn't care to win this game. And so one one other comparison I'll make is to something like Ottoman Sunset and Chosen Few, which are, those are two games that I've enjoyed to, to varying extents. Chosen Few lacked a little bit of replayability. I traded it away, but the games I played were fine. But Ottoman Sunset I still have in my collection. And you know what? Terrible sh shit goes wrong in that game all the time. You know, it's all random and but it's fun and it's more intuitive and it's easier and you're not constantly interrupting gameplay. It, it, it flows very smoothly. Uh, this felt very choppy 
and it lacked any kind of meaningful decisions. Now, Ottoman Sunset, which is that's a States of Siege game, uh, which those are that's a great series of game if you're into solo war gaming, and some of those are worth looking into for sure. Uh, but Ottoman Sunset, you have at least some decisions to make on on how to do things and and how to address certain situations and where to kind of counteract the enemy, and you're, you're just not doing that here, and. Yeah, I just didn't I just didn't think it was good. So again, I'm probably forgetting some brilliant points that I thought of as I was playing the game and I'm just not thinking about them now. But what I thought I would do is this would be a nice transition into, you know, last episode we introduced I'm still settling on the final name here, but essentially the every war game ever list, which is a borrowed concept from a fantastic comic book podcast called War Rocket Ajax. Again, giving them credit because they're the ones I'm stealing this idea from. Where I'm going to take every single war game ever made and eventually rank it from top to bottom. And last episode, we just set the bookends. So, no surprise, U.S. Civil War, best war game ever made, ranked number one. And I, I picked a game I wasn't crazy fond of that really seemed like a bore. And that was Titan, because Titan is a game that had a lot of promise that didn't live up to that promise and really just overstayed its welcome on the table. Uh, so what I thought I would do this episode is populate that list with not only Zeppelin Raider, but also a couple other games that I've spent some time talking about in more detail in past episodes. So Zeppelin Raider, and I guess what this will look like is uh, you know, as we add games, we'll just try to find the, the perfect spot for them on the list. Obviously, Zeppelin Raider is not knocking U.S. Civil War from its perch. The legitimate question for me, is it better or worse than Titan? Now, this is... I'm going to use the term objectively here, but that's still them proper use because this is still all my opinion. Uh, I think objectively, the... Zeppelin Raider is maybe the better designed game than Titan. But, you know, again, that's my personal taste. And although this is a completely unbiased, completely objective, completely fair, well-rounded list, ev ranking of every war game ever, where I'm just the arbiter of the list, um, you know what, my opinion may spill over in these rankings from time to time. Um, but comparing Titan to Zeppelin Raider, Titan has its problems, but at least I am making fun decisions. My biggest complaint with Titan is just how long it is, which what's the bigger crime, you know, being, and I, I can't exaggerate enough how long Titan is. I mean, it's really bad and, and it's got all kinds of issues, you know, like player elimination and, and, and all that stuff, and, you know, pretty uninteresting combat, but it has decisions, which for a large part Zeppelin Raider really seems to be lacking. If I walked into a room today and there was an opportunity to play Zeppelin Raider and there was an opportunity to play Titan, which one would I play it? Because I think that's the only way we find a ranking for this list. Because I've, I've gone back and forth thinking where does zeppelin raider end up in comparison to titan um i can i can easily find a spot for it in the other games i reviewed but titan and, and zeppelin raider seem to be about on the same page for me 
uh, Titan has a really cool theme, but obviously so does Zeppelin Raider. You're dealing with Zeppelins during World War One, or you're dealing with you know armies of these fantasy beings. But again, I think if I walked into a room and it was ideal situations for both games, I would pick Titan, which to me, I think that means that the right spot for Zeppelin Raider, the most fair and objective spot for Zeppelin Raider is below Titan. And that's where I'm going to put it. And maybe that's unfair to the game, but... Yeah, I think I'd I'd take making decisions and moving an army around and engaging in combat. You know, because Titan does have the cool concept of kind of a larger battlefield, and then you break off into these smaller battlefields. I mean, that's such a neat concept. But the problem is, is that tactical battlefield just takes forever, and everyone else at the table is just waiting for that combat to resolve. But that's such a better design than just move to a point and roll on a couple tables to see what happens. Does that make sense? Anyways, I think that's how it ends up. So that gives us three, right? So U.S. Civil War sits at the top. We've got Titan, I guess, in the middle. I wouldn't consider it in the middle of the pack quite yet, though. And then we have uh, we have Zeppelin Raider bringing up the rear as it stands now. Uh, so let's let's take a look at a couple other games that I've reviewed in past episodes. One thing I've struggled with is how do I treat ASL? Um, and so I'm going to skip that for now because I haven't determined whether do I rank the starter kits by themselves? Do I rank the modules by themselves? The historical modules by themselves? I I haven't decided how to break the ASL scenario up. So I'm going to leave starter kit one, which I talked about in a fair amount of detail uh, last episode out of the conversation for now. I'll make a decision. We'll get them on this list somewhere. Uh, so let's go back one more episode. So now we're in episode three, I guess, with Normandy 44, which is a Mark Simonich game from GMT. And where does that end up on this list? It is definitely better than both Titan and Zeppelin Raider. And I don't, I don't think I need the drama that I built up between Zeppelin Raider and Titan because uh, as much as I like Normandy 44... Uh, the easy test is if both of them were in front of me, I'd go with U.S. Civil War almost every single time. You know, unless I had just played 10 games straight of U.S. Civil War and just wanted to mix it up. Now, that's not a knock against Normandy 44. I think Normandy 44 is a fantastic game, and it captures so much historical flavor in its gameplay. And so it's a no-brainer that it ends up just below U.S. Civil War as it stands, but in front of Titan and... Zeppelin Raider. Okay, another game we spent a, a good amount of time talking about and I had a lot of praise for was Battle Hymn Volume 1 from Compass Games, which is coming back. They found some extra copies of some parts of the game and they're reprinting a limited amount of Battle Hymn Volume 1. So if you'd like to get Battle Hymn Volume 1 in addition to Battle Hymn Volume 2, go for it. I'm a huge fan of this game. So this is Eric Lee Smith. This is kind of a reworking of his Across Five Aprils title. And Battle Him. All right, let's 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 cut it out. It's not better than US Civil War. It's definitely better than Zeppelin Raider and Titan. The question is, is it better than Normandy 44 or not? To me, they're they're probably solid eights for if we want to throw an arbitrary number out there, is what I would consider both of them. 
the combat resolution in Normandy 44 is more intuitive. The battle hymn combat resolution until you spend some time with it is kind of clunky. But it has some pretty cool concepts of approach fire. But obviously Normandy 44 has some cool concepts with things like zone of control bonds. Um, which, I, which I've talked about both of those concepts in the episodes reviewing those games. So go give those a listen. Um, I'm not trying to completely re-review these games. I'm trying to, you know, develop this all-encompassing, completely fair, completely unbiased, completely objective ranking of every single war game ever. Eventually, my I think my biggest complaint with Normandy 44 is also it's it's something that bothers me about the game, but also I get why it's there, and that's that 18 combat factor limit. Uh, so if you remember, no matter how many units you attack with in Normandy 44, you're capped at 18 which makes a lot of combats feel exactly the same. And I think that's a knock against Normandy 44. It does present some more defensive. It's probably more fun for the German player because it's it allows them more defensive options. You know, they don't have to jam everything into one spot based off the the combat the terrain modifiers for combat, you can spread your troops out because if you get to 10 combat factor taking into consideration terrain, you will be on the one-to-one table. So oftentimes what combat looks like in that game is, okay, it's one-to-one, we'll compare armor, and then the allied player will bring in artillery and air, right? And basically the same conversation with the German player, except they don't have air. I guess the U.S. player could bring in naval firepower but you know once you cross the naval boundary that's out of the game and so that that's my biggest complaint with normandy 44 is that the combat resolution feels there's not a lot of variety in combat obviously the combat resolution for both games is the same all the time but not that many combats feel distinct now occasionally you'll get you know some odd combat that is great in favor of of one player but it's not that common i think uh, so what am I saying? I th- Oof, This is tough. I think Normandy 44 is the better developed game. Um, Battle Him, if you remember, one of my biggest complaints was just kind of some clarity in the rulebook. Also, I think Battle Him was a little overpriced. I think the campaign games in Battle Him are a lot more fun than the specific... So, like, there's the best three hours scenario for... Um, I guess that would be the... Second day of Gettysburg with Longstreet. Uh, I didn't enjoy those small scenarios as much, but the Pea Ridge and full Gettysburg campaign scenarios are, are quite good. I really recommend the Pea Ridge scenario, by the way. It's really tough for these games. So if we do this, if we take the same approach that we took with Zeppelin Raider and Titan, and I walked into a room and it was ideal situations for both games. Which one would I rather play? I think it would be Battle Hymn, honestly. Um, you know, Normandy 44 is a fantastic game. And this one is just by a hair. I th- This isn't a knock. I think as you see this list develop, we don't really have any middle-of-the-pack games. Just kind of average war games yet. I'm thinking something like... Well, I, sh- shit, we can we can get it on this list right now. Hold Fast Korea is something that's like a middle-of-the-pack game for me, right? Uh, I think as you see this list populates, 
uh, you'll see Battle Him in Normandy 44 float, and you'll see games like Zeppelin Raider and Titan Sink, right? So I don't think Battle Him is leaps and bounds better than Normandy 44, but I do think I would rank, for purpose of this list, I think it comes just in front of Normandy 44. And so, sure, why the heck not? We already mentioned it. Uh, I spent a good amount, a fair amount of time talking about uh, Hold Fast Korea. It's not a game that I see getting back to the table anytime soon, so there's not going to be an in-depth review coming of it, uh, coming from it. That is the block war game from Worthington Games that I talked about in an episode or two ago that has a really simple low rules overhead but still manages to capture that historical flavor of the Korean War. Um, but because of the scale the, and the map is so small, I think it loses a lot of replayability because there's so little maneuverability on the map. Once each side has drawn up on the 38th parallel, which the game does a really great job of simulating, that's kind of it. The line in the sand has been drawn, and you know Korea is only so wide. You know it's only about six hexes across, so you can't really all you can do is just kind of bash your head against your opponent hoping to break through as the u.s play basically your chance comes is as the u.s player falls back and the uh the communist player the chinese forces storm on that's where you need to set your plans in action you need to be thinking right then where can i maneuver to start cutting some of their their troops off and inflicting heavy casualties because you'll want them out of the way to to push through uh, yeah, so that game, I think, is just middle of the line. It's it's better than Zeppelin Raider. It's better than Titan, but it falls short of the of how great Battle Hymn, Normandy 44, and U.S. Civil War is. Now, I don't think I will run through the list every single time. I'm going to be maintaining a geek list over on Board Game Geek. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. But as of this episode, just a quick rundown. So now we have five games, and I think that makes the discussion a little bit more interesting where I'm not just comparing everything against U.S. Civil War. So, you know, games will be more evenly matched. If we start at the top, U.S. Civil War reigns supreme. Battle Hymn Volume 1 comes up next. Yeah, I'm I'm still a little torn on that, but I, I really do think that's where I would rank it. I think it has more replayability just because there's... Again, on one hand, I say it's not worth the full price. Uh, I think it's a little expensive for what it is, but it does have two full campaign games on in two different settings. You know, obviously Normandy Forty Four has the uh, Cherbourg scenario, and then the full. Yeah, yeah, I've I've ranked it. It's done. I'm I'm just the arbiter. The the process has ranked the games. I can't change it now. So okay, U.S. Civil War followed by Battle Hymn, followed by Normandy Forty Four. Followed by Hold Fast Korea. And then we said Titan would come in. Oh shit, I guess we have six games ranked. I said five. Um, Titan, and then followed up by the most recent release, which is Compass Games' new game, Zeppelin Raider. Okay, that's it, folks. Don't forget to go check out Next War Con. I'd love to sit down and play a game with you. Uh, if you have any questions about the convention, feel free to contact myself or Chris. You'll see his contact information on the, the information. Again, it's on Consum World. It's the easiest way to find his GMT's inside GMT events page. Over on Board Game Geek, uh, I set up a Kansas City historical gamers group to try to get a monthly group together. 
they're at tabletop. So if you're interested in that, you're local to the area, go and check that out. But there's the information's over there. Uh, I have it sticky to my Twitter, kind of the announcement flyer. So all the information, you should be able to find it. But again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. That's going to do it for this episode. I will be back later this month, hopefully. But in the meantime, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email, historytablepodcast at gmail.com. Or reach out to me on Twitter, send me a message, whatever. It's History Table Pod. Again, it's History Table Pod. All right, folks. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.